You've found the podcast where driving matters. Whether you haul, commute, or cruise, we want you to love what you drive. We're here to help you find usability and fun. From first-time buyers to jaded experts, we believe everyone is one great car away from being car-obsessed. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. Thanks for being with us. We have two amazing car debates, and you buried us, just buried us in questions. Pretty cool. We were always talking about winter tires, and so I figured I'd post a photo yes, you did. from my trip to visit family in Seattle. That got people talking. Yeah, it did. It was horrifying to see because I was on my way to the airport, and Seattle had just experienced a very heavy snowstorm, and I couldn't believe a car had just flipped over, and you could see how it progressed. Mm-hmm. I hope everybody is okay. I hope yeah. the ending is happy, but still, I saw so many cars off the road, just Gosh. cars where they didn't belong. <laughs> what are you doing it's there? fascinating. That's not where you go. Well, here we are, full winter tires here mm-hmm. on the Cayenne. I have amazing blizzacks. That thing's fantastic in the snow. It's proven itself for years and years and years. And we've had so much snow in Park City the last month that there's no getting back to my driveway. I mean, I've been clearing it, but there's been a layer of snow that's just permanently there, right? Well, then wouldn't you Your know driveway it? In the is last, like a, my driveway is its what, own what little is it? Indiana Jones adventure. I guess isn't so. It? Yeah. That's good. So in the last 24 hours, it suddenly decided to be 50 degrees and raining. So this morning, the Cayenne which is bomb-proof in all conditions, swam down the drive uh, because yeah, it yeah, was yeah. all horrible slush. And I thought, i got to get the Z out later. How am I doing that? So anyway, <laughs> I, I hope you are having better driveway adventures than I am. But no matter what, I hope you have really, really good tires on whatever you are driving this winter. The Chevy Silverado EV has been announced. Yes. 2024. I think it's rather avalanche-looking, but I do like it. Mm-hmm. I think it's excellent. This has 664 horsepower and 780 pound-feet of torque in the available wide-open watts mode. Mm-hmm. The wow mode. So if you mode. see somebody yeah. walking around with a trench coat, and you're like, hey, you want to buy some watts? Here you go. Well, because that's their version versus the watts to freedom, the WTF mode on the Hummer. This has answered a <clears throat> yes. question that was actually lingering in my brain. And that I is knew it was. The Hummer is wildly expensive, like hundred grand and way, way up. Yes, yes. But I knew when they dropped that, that wasn't just GM just designing something for the Hummer platform. I kept wondering, where's all that coming for the quote-unquote everyman? And it's going to be this Silverado. Now, granted, this Silverado you're still going to be able to make quite expensive, but it's going to be the way to buy most of that Hummer tech without the Hummer badge and a few little extras and get a lot of that Hummer tech in a Silverado. And I agree, it looks a lot like an Avalanche, and I think that's a good thing. The early Avalanche was terrible looking with the side body cladding. I'm not a real truck, but I play one on TV. Yes, exactly. But then my, my dad bought one. I think this is a 2010. So like 2009, 2010, they actually took all that body cladding off. And I actually think it's always been really, really great. I think the Silverado is intriguing. If you're a truck person, GM's got to get in the game. For sure. Here we are. For sure. And they have already kind of did with the Hummer and announcing that. For it sure. Sort of yeah. like take systems of that and Completely. rework it for Chevy and GMC. So yeah. what's amazing is these trucks pushing car companies forward. Yeah. I mean, it's all trucks. I mean, trucks is how they make money. Yeah, will or will not arrive. Mm, It was mm -hmm. announced, and yet everybody looked at that and thought, (laughs) "All right, there's ideas there," and it it just pushed everybody. So I do appreciate whether or not you're into electric cars or not. 
car companies are really pushing hard now, and it's manifesting itself very quickly. Yeah. Although this is a 2024 model. We're recording this in 2022. We are. And speaking of that, actually, there was a huge 20-hour backup pileup in Virginia for massive snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one that. of the side conversations happened. It was terrible. I mean, it was terrible people just sitting in their cars for the better part of 20 hours. One of the side note conversations that came out of that that I was reading recently is a discussion of how that exposed, again, the issues with electric car infrastructure. Not electric cars, electric car infrastructure. Infrastructure, yep. Because the ability to run an electric car dry, like to nothing, they're really hard to resuscitate. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yep. if you have everybody sitting in a pileup like that, this is an extreme case. I'm not saying this is something that we should plan for because it was obviously an extreme weather event. But if you have those kind of situations, in a weird way, because of the way the infrastructure works, all those gasoline cars were fairly straightforward. But electric cars would have been really difficult, less range, harder to charge. What if everybody sitting in that lineup for 20 hours was an electric? On the current infrastructure, that would be even more catastrophic. Sure. The sure. biggest issue that's happening with electric cars right now is not the companies getting on board. It's where are you charging all of these? Exactly. You can't get a couple gallons of electricity over to those cars to limp them to a gas station. Uh, yeah, and, and we can't. When we're having trouble right now, go, go to a place like San Francisco or L.A. I've been reading about this as well, uh, and I'm talking about this in like owner forums. There's a discussion about the fact that in San Francisco and L.A., there are backups on Tesla superchargers. Like you're waiting in line to get your car plugged in so that you can get juice at all. It's a tiny percentage of the market right now. If we go from yeah. 3 or 4% to 20%, the infrastructure that has to follow is massive. People have talked about it. People are planning yeah. for it. It just will take a long time to materialize. It's, it's going to take, it seems like it's going to take a lot longer than the cars themselves. And yes. that's when it's going to really have a crunch for sure. Although adoption is another thing because even if manufacturers are, they've got almost every model electrified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will people buy them? That's We're, the ongoing the question. Inter- the industry is talking about them. We're all yeah. talking about them. We're excited. Great. You've got new models. Will people actually buy them? Because for the most part, they're still very expensive. Tesla has teased among other things yeah the twenty five thousand. sure why car. not it's going to come with one of their robots it, it <laughs> certainly will the robot will drive it Sorry. for you there you go i've tried to do it straight face that i failed yeah you couldn't i like that car manufacturers are pushing on each other and being innovative mm-hmm. in their yeah. technology and what's next but let's say they offer all this stuff it's still very expensive very leading edge kind of technology yeah not everybody can afford that true not everybody changes cars not everybody can afford even just leasing to do that. Mm -hmm. And so will there be lots full of electric cars waiting for buyers? Yeah. And I do think that the way do I, way I use this is going to be an ongoing discussion. And how do I get my electricity back in weird situations? It's going to become more and more of an issue Mm -hmm. because we haven't solved that yet. The cars are coming. The electricity is going to have to follow. Well, nevertheless, this Avalanche, sorry, Silverado EV, <laughs> oh, yes, that. Mm-hmm. did you notice it's doing that Rolls-Royce slash Hyundai Palisade slash Nissan Juke thing where the headlights are not the headlights? Yeah. Surprise, mm-hmm. they're not the headlights. They're yeah. not what you think they are. It's okay. I, I do like the styling, and I like that Chevy is pushing on this, but they've got to have something too, so here it is. Mm-hmm. Jumping to our car debates, first from John, Michael, and Ashley. They're in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, asking if you should meet your heroes when you're still young. Interesting. This is this is an interesting conversation because John Michael has decided that uh, he is not only a serious car guy, but his wife has come around as well. 
<laughs> They're in their late 20s, early 30s, and they have the ability to buy a comfortable, affordable dream car. And his entire car history and hers are both terrible. But they currently own a 2017 BMW X1 that she drives, and he has a 2015 BMW M235i xDrive. The reason those are significant is because he comes from an entire family of we buy Suburbans, and 2500 HDs mm-hmm. and 4x4s and big trucks and snow tires and we are truck people and she comes from a world of beige minivans <laughs> on purpose beige minivans well what John Michael is asking is do you wait to experience the classics first or you just go right for the heroes early on in your life as Todd said his car history and experience is still in its infancy yep this car history, as Todd also mentioned, comes from his parents spending a couple decades in Alaska. And when you're in Alaska in <laughs> remote outlying areas, yes. it's pretty much Ford or Chevy. <laughs> and it's all-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, studded and tires. Let's get serious. Ram is up there, but they're the old Dodges before it really oh, sure. was Ram. Yeah, yeah. And they're around, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you see a few, but pretty much pick Ford or Chevy. That's it. <laughs> okay. You also have to consider living in Alaska. Do you have a dealership? Or a repair shop to mm. take care of your cars. Mm. Now, there are BMW and Mercedes dealers in Anchorage. Sure, sure. But beyond that, there's not too many more exotic kinds of cars. Now, his parents' greatest hits include a 68 Camaro, 50s and 60s Corvettes, 240Z and 80s BMW, and one of the first Porsches in the Pacific Northwest. He said his maternal grandfather was a family member inflicted with the disease. And he's John Michael's happy to carry on this torch passion since he was a kid so porsche has always been categorized as a dream car because his grandfather was the car guy of the area yeah and then it kind of skips a gen (laughs) john michael's here going i want a fun car again grandpa had porsches and, and corvettes let's get one of those his wife's family had two beige astrovans not an exaggeration not just a joke they literally owned two of them at the same time with no kids at home <laughs> two beige astrovans her car was also a cadillac Catera, her first car that's a he says, twist i've got okay. no idea how this was her first car but it was a special event for her to drive it was lost due to massive electrical failure i'm sorry i'm laughing but it sparked a love Massive for cars. Sparked a love I for cars. I see what you did there. Yeah, yes. I see that. Mm-hmm. And then she went through a variety of Chevy Cavaliers until marriage. They got a 2017 Forester XT, sold that for the current X1. Because the CVT became too much. You mean it became too little. Yeah, the CVT was so annoying. We must get out of that. But she actually really likes her X1. And he, of course, had a string of these cars make sense. And he would love wagons. But he purchased finally an E46 325 XI wagon and was like, ah, a car that matters. This <laughs> yes. could be good. And he decided eventually a new car was coming. And he was listening to the podcast by that point, And he heard us talk about the M235i. And he thought, maybe I should go smaller still away from wagon. He seriously thought he should have gotten rear-wheel drive. But Mm -hmm. his history, let's be honest, every BMW here has had an X in it. Right. And every other thing has been a truck. His history held on too tight, and he went with the all-wheel drive M235i X, so he has all-wheel drive on that, and he loves the fact that he's just everywhere in this, blasting by people in all weather. I love that you slipped this little sentence in here, John Michael. After a transfer case rebuild, <laughs> yeah. moving on. I noticed that as well. It's like, wait, I'm sorry, what? That You just say that so casually, like, you know, like you do. 
after the 235i rebuilt. with the transfer case rebuilt. Well, then he had the opportunity to drive that car in only rear-wheel drive, and it surprised him. He'd been so, thinking about so, moving to this new experience. So hang on, hang on. So the car broke. Exactly. And when it broke, yes. you discovered, oh, it would have been better in rear-wheel drive. Pretty much. It solidified that in him. So this is why he's writing. He wants to move on. And the budget is giving him a dilemma mm. between establishing a good foundation of the usual suspects or go for the dream car early. This budget is thirty to $42,000. That's quite a wide range. Good range. But we're, we're talking delightful. You know, roughly high 30s, low 40s. That's great. He is including the GR86 or a Supra 2.0 in there. And he says he loves the look and engine refresh of the GR86, but he's concerned he will miss the power and the turbo of his BMW. Okay, possibly. You might. The 2.0 Supra is beautiful, he says, but once again feels underpowered for the budget and less of an enthusiast spec. Convertibles are right out, and rear-wheel drive is a must. He's always loved Caymans, but 911s remain the dream car. Mm, All right. He also lives in an incredibly small car market, so test-driving enthusiast cars is almost impossible. So you're up there in Coeur d'Alene. Well, Spokane's not far. True, yeah. And I did look them up. They do have a Porsche dealer along with some other <laughs> European Paul just knows houses. where all the Porsche dealers are. Don't let him fool you. He just goes, oh, yeah, they have one in Spokane. Of course they do. They do. So the requirement is rear-wheel drive, manual preferred, has to be car seat friendly. His driving buddy is his four-and-a-half-year-old nephew. Mm-hmm. His nephew's twin brother wants to be Batman when he grows up. <laughs> See, I, I love when it's you're great. at that age. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be Batman. That's just an option. It's just like, you know, why, why wouldn't All that be? options are on the table. Absolutely. Still. I mean, he, his twin brother could be Spider-Man if he wants, but I I want to be Batman. But the key thing You've is that's the career changes in, their, in your life. For sure, yes. What do you do in middle age? Moving on. Why is uh, Batman never on that list? <laughs> but, but here's the key thing. That's the other twin who apparently isn't into cars. But Caden is John Michael's little little buddy that is four and a half and loves cars, and he wants to be a race driver. Mm-hmm. You go be Batman, brother. I'm going to be a race driver. Totally. He grew up in the back seat of John Michael's car, and they've been hurling up mountain roads. He's been giggling the whole time. The kid loves it. So I think it's interesting. John Michael wants this next car to be accessible for him as well. Yeah, for sure. He says priority is nephew over the dog, even though hauling a dog would be a plus. He and his wife are both five foot ten and or six foot and athletic, and they both enjoy power. Okay. Especially in long road trips, which are frequent, but he likes to find the mountain and lakeside roads in Coeur d'Alene for proper twisty roads. I love it. He says 997.1s are comfortably within his budget with okay. decent mileage and good spec. Now, for those of you that are not following along in Porsche land, that is the early 2000s 911s, and they are great. This is 05 to 2012 era, mm-hmm. roughly 911. Yep. yep. He says there's a couple that have gotten under his skin and he can't shake. He says the image of a 20-something in a 911 plus the maintenance cost is something best left for a few years down the road. That's what's in his head. That's what he thinks. He, he was like, I probably shouldn't do this. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. you know, sensible side of you that's about yeah. to get beaten and left for dead. Oh, like, uh-oh. <laughs> Spoiler alert. That's happening. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, he's asking, should he get something smart and classical like the GR86? Because his heart is yearning for the 911 or something along those lines of used performance, a Cayman, an M2, an F-type. Mm-hmm. So does he get a usual suspect or does he keep going for higher performance? His wife Ashley has her sights set on a GTI as her next car when okay. she allows him to sell her X1. But for now, he's split between what seems like a reasonable choice, maybe, or <laughs> a palate cleanser, a dessert. Okay. All right. All right. Thoughts? What are our thoughts? John, thank you so much for writing. Really appreciate it. Your car progression is what I'm want, wanting to focus on because mm, agreed, agreed. I want you to have an I-11. Mm-hmm. But will you turn your nose up 
in the future at other cars. That's interesting. I had that same thought. I aspire to a 911, and mm-hmm. I've discovered Caymans, mm-hmm. and I'm almost willing to stop there. I want a 911. Don't worry. Sure, I yeah. want a 911. I want all the 911s. Bring all the 911s, mm-hmm. please. But Caymans are so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep thinking I just want a string of Caymans from here on out. Mm-hmm. Just more Caymans. Just one right after the other. Caymans, yeah, because they're so good. I love the progression. I'm even thinking about going backwards to... The 987, like the mm. Cayman R, mm, yeah. they're so yeah, good. Yeah, they are really good. 2011, 2012, very special car. But I ask you, John, and you, you're the only one that can answer this. In the progression of life, and we've touched on this before, it seems like everybody's supposed to start with a Honda Civic in their life and move up to a, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, yeah, a Cord yeah. or a Hyundai Sonata, and then you get married in a minivan, and then you forget about cars for... 25 years. Then you join us on the podcast. Thanks for being here. (laughs) Exactly. And then you write to us. Mm -hmm. We try to blow up your budget and solve life for you. (laughs) This is really just the progression of the podcast, (laughs) honestly. Yeah. And then you think, ah, I've missed out on life, so I got to double the budget and get out there and go crazy and you're into McLaren land or something crazy. I'm all for that. That's great. And you know what? Life happens. It can't always include cars. It can't just be, you got to be smart with your budget, of course. Sure. Yeah. But where you guys are at right now, you appreciate it so much, and you've got this opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if a new Supra comes along, if a lesser-priced car that mm. isn't a 911, because there's other cars out there, and this is the Porsche Super Freak sure, saying Yes, you are, yeah. There's yeah, other yeah. cars out there that might intrigue you, and you think, mm. well, I can't bear to sell the 911. What if I sell the 911? I, I lose points. Mm. As a credible car enthusiast, I've, I've reached the <laughs> pinnacle of nine. I got yeah, a 911 yeah. mm-hmm. and you're late 20s. Fair point. Got a lot of life left. Yeah. Well, for what's next? I, I fully agree with you. Along those lines, I had similar notes here. Along those lines, look, if you, if you really want to get and can get a 997-911 and you really want one and that's the car that every time you look at anything else, you're just like, God, I want the 911. I don't think Paul and I are going to be like, no, don't get the 911. Right. I, I, right. If, if that's really where you're all, all roads point to that car, watch our 50 Years of 911 film if you haven't seen it. We really like that generation 911. It's one of my very favorites, yeah. honestly. I think it's yeah. fantastic. It's one of the best 911 generations because after that, they get bigger. I am all for it if that's the only place you're headed, and I'm wondering if it is. But here's my concern, piggybacking on what you said, Paul. I see this with automotive journalists. Mm. Once they start mm. getting a chance to drive all the really good Porsche product, they don't care about anything else. Nothing else yeah. is a Porsche. Now, I will say as the non-Porsche guy of the two of us, they're excellent. They make fantastic cars. The engineering is great. They're great on the road. They're great on the track. Porsches are excellent. But Porsches are not the only fun cars out there. It's true. And I've seen this with automotive journalists, let alone just random people that buy Porsches. Yeah. yeah. Once they start buying Porsches, there's no real consideration to ever buy another brand. I hate to admit it, but you're right. It happens like crazy. And I, and I see this dedication. Honestly, I see it more than I see it in any other semi-exotic car. I don't see it in Ferrari guys or McLaren guys or anybody. All of those guys have a tendency to branch out a little bit. But once people yeah. discover Porsche and they get their like pinnacle Porsche, it's they, they appreciate that other brands are out there, but they would never buy anything else. I'm worried about that for you, John. If you buy one now, I think you'd enjoy that 997-911. But I, I think it would just begin a string of Porsche products and you would miss out on other experiences. And I have other experiences I want to discuss. 
That's great. I, I mean, I'd like the 9-11 for you. I think you yes, should experience you it. you would enjoy it. Let's say you keep that and you go to other experiences. Or let's say you allow yourself to sell it and you move mm-hmm. to something else. You can always go back. You can always go back to a 9-11. It yes. will always be there. Mm-hmm. And as badly as I want a 9-11, the Caymans are so good. Yeah. And they yeah. are now at a point where it's not second best. It's not like, oh, oh yeah. you didn't work yeah, hard yeah. enough. Oh, totally. You didn't get the raise. You didn't do quite as well as you thought you were going to do in your career. You have to settle. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. not that car. It's mm-hmm. so very good and so emotional. But there's many cars in that category. And I'm not talking about 911 and then they're on, you know, up from there. Mm-hmm. McLaren's and a string of amazing Corvettes <laughs> and, you know, whatever. Sure, yeah. What if you went backwards to a cheaper car that had less power that was actually kind of more fun? Many of you have written to us saying, I had a 911 or I had an insert pretty fun hot car here. Sure, yeah, yeah. It was either too much power, I was scared to drive it, I didn't get the use out of it I thought I was going to, and I went and bought a Miata or a some kind of cheapo yeah, car. Yeah. And you love it and you're looking mm, forward mm. to driving it. That's kind of where I want your headspace to be, John, is get the 911, go experience it. I want you to be I want you to love Porsche. They're mm-hmm. amazing. <laughs> they really are. Yeah. yeah. And I'm working on myself. I'm almost saying this more to me than you, John, because I, I got to take my own medicine too, right? Mm, mm. I got to say, I, I love Porsche, but there's so many other delicious, tasty, and cars that haven't been introduced or announced yet that will sure, be coming yeah, at us yeah. that are, you have to appreciate. Mm. So what are those? The Supers are very good. The GR86 good. is yeah. very good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe get the Porsche and, you know, consider these as the used options later on down the road. At this recording, the new Nissan Z has not been released yet. That's true, yeah. That may just be a delightful experience. True. true Might true. be worth considering. There's so many to think about, and that I hope manufacturers will continue to make the fun cars, the fun mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. and especially the cheaper fun stuff. What does that look like? That's the exciting part about the future. That's of the cars. big question mark for sure, yeah. John. I, I think uh, I'm going to run through this real quick. I think that nine nine seven nine eleven you would enjoy, but I don't think you get it yet. That's my personal opinion. I think you're going to say I hold off at the moment, off because I really think it's going to create kind of a cul de sac for you. What you're really shopping for is your first genuine rear wheel drive car. And I'm looking at your progression of cars. You and your wife, you keep getting smaller. Mm-hmm. You're getting towards mm-hmm. smaller stuff, but your history mm-hmm. is. Big stuff that's slowly getting smaller. I had this life experience. We didn't own trucks, but we owned huge monster Chevys. And I finally found small stuff and was like, now, wait a minute. <laughs> These Hang exist. on. <laughs> this is a different thing. So I, I think what, what I want to challenge you to do is hold off on the 911 and see how small and chuckable the world can be. Okay? And you said, what, follow me here, because you said no convertibles. And you said you want the 86 kind of. The 86 would absolutely do everything you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I, it, you would enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I, the GR86 would be very, very good. There's some interesting hot hatches here, but they're not rear-wheel drive. However, you are listening to a person right now who my entire life, I said, I just don't get convertibles. I just don't get them. <laughs> and I made sure that when I bought my Lotus Elise, I had the hardtop because I thought I'm going to have the hardtop on all the time. Eating this a bit of crow meat. Last huh? <laughs> summer, I never put the hardtop on, never once. So funny which is crazy. It's still, the car is parked for the winter and the hardtop is still parked separately. Is it really? Yes, oh, it's just funny. in the garage, separate in its, in its little bag. Well, huh. So that's interesting. But then I, then I bought that Z4 convertible mm-hmm. and I was surprised how many times I was just like, you know what, may as well just take the top off. So 
I realize that in the right situations, convertibles are awesome. And you can't say to me, well, we get weather here. <clears throat> we're in Park City. We get <laughs> yeah. weather here. We use that. So here's, here's where my answer for you. I think what you need to go get is an ND2 Miata RF. Oh, okay. It's the hard yeah. top Miata. Yeah, that's good. The reason I want you to go that far is because this is about as far as usable rear-wheel drive chuckable cars get. Yes, you can put a child seat in that right seat, and you and your little buddy nephew can go have a blast. But this is going to recalibrate you, John. I fully believe it. You and your wife can take road trips in that car. We have seen people come through Park City and say hey to us that are doing a road trip in their ND2 Miata. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. you yeah. got to pack smart, but you can do it. So I think it can be a great road trip car, but I think it is going to completely revolutionize your perspective on what rear-wheel drive focused cars can be because this is really all you're buying. The 86 would do all this, but the Miata shines best at just being the fun only. You can do the road trips and then that kind of stuff, but sure. it's, it's sure. kind of like my Lotus. You've got to dedicate yourself to those events. But <laughs> you, you're just going to run up one of the good Coeur d'Alene roads for the afternoon, Miata. Take that, take that RF out. Take your wife or huh. your little buddy out. Because what I think this is huh. going to do, and please, again, John, I'm not buying you a car here that is your everyday car for the rest of your life. And this is my concern with that, with that 911 is you're just going to be like, oh, I'm good here. I'm good. Fine. 911s are out there. They're always going to be out there. They made a lot of them. They're going to keep making them. This is true. You can circle back to the 911 later. But I think you're, you're on a progression, I see, towards smaller and lighter and more chuckable and rear-wheel drive and all the things you haven't had. Let's reset the meter with the Miata and then figure out where you want to be. Let's say the Miata's in your life a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, just, you drive it year-round and you go, is this enough? Your wife's got the X1. Sure. If you need some more space to go somewhere. Soon to be GTI. <laughs> At some point, yes. But, but here's the thing. You just drive that Miata for a year, enjoy it in all situations, and then go, okay, do I want to go bigger? Do I like smaller now? Now you might be thinking, I'm only going Cayman because you like the small. Yeah. Or you might think, yeah. you know what? I, I really do want to go 911 now, but it's, you're, it's going to teach you so much as a driver and you're going to be reset for what's possible. And then you can figure out where you want to be. I mean, that is the next question that you just asked. And that is, at what point do I allow myself to have the 911? Sure. Because you say, okay, Miata for a year, there's still a lot of other cars that sure. are in that category yeah. that can be bought. It's BMW Z3s. Again, here's BMW yes. Z3s. But it also gets him, away from, it gets him away from turbos. It, it, it's a sure. total reset with sure. a car like that. But then only you can answer that. You know, Okay, I've experienced that, and I still have the longing. Great. Get that 911. I am giving you permission, John, to buy that 911 now. So two opposing opinions here yeah buy it now if you're allowing yourself to continue to drive other things and be seen in lesser priced cars mm, that's interesting and they're not as powerful they're lower priced because you alluded to that in here like yeah i think i'll miss the power of my bmw if i get into an 86 it might not mm-hmm. you might not or you might but it's that trade-off that we find in people too where it's right. like well this other friend of mine i i prefer them for this thing but in this it's the best thing ever so if you can say, all right, I'll own a 911 now, feed the itch, scratch it. I love feed the itch. It's one it's of my so all-time funny. favorites that you say. Yeah. Get it out of your system. I mean, again, it might never leave your system. I, I'm right there with you. It's mm-hmm. a struggle to think, other cars. Really? Huh? Other cars besides Porsche. Sure. <laughs> 
but they're this out is there. This the problem, yeah. And that's what I've allowed myself to discover through our cheap car challenge, through our big sedan challenge. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Inexplicably, I'm all about the Maserati. Paul owned a Maserati I, as a result of this thinking. That's how far he's gone, yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm right there. I am a poster child for your dilemma. Yeah. Because of the Porsche love. Yeah. So if you can allow yourself to have it for a little while and then say, all right, let's try something different. And then maybe you go back to another 911 in the future that's a different model. You go sure. up. You go sure. back to a 3.2. You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, you know, there's going to be trade-offs and costs for any of those mm-hmm. kinds of cars. But the last thing that I'm going to leave you with, John, and that is my outlook with the 928. And that mm. is when I bought it, the reason I bought it was because I wanted a mechanic special. And it wasn't perfect. And I, How's that working out for you? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. There's, some, there's a little bit of backstory mm, going on yeah, right okay. now. Okay, there's information that there's, forthcoming. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, 928. If <laughs> you're yes. reading between the lines. But I allowed myself to buy it. Mm-hmm. The price was good. It's 13.5. Excellent, yeah. It, I knew it was going to need stuff. Yeah. How much I didn't know. But nevertheless, it wasn't perfect mm-hmm. because I thought, I want the back to the perfect 911, the, the car, I've got it. It's mm-hmm. the yeah, yeah, luscious, yeah. perfect thing. And then I would never drive it. And this one had flaws. It had warts. Yeah. It still kind of yeah, yeah. does. Yeah. But yet we're doing this cars of the past trip series and yeah. I'm forced to drive it. <laughs> I'm forced to dump Distance. money into it. <clears throat> Distance driving will occur. Not just like, oh, yes. look, I made it back to the shoot today. It's we got to go places. And I just thought I want eventually every mechanical system on this car to be touched. I want it to be, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like the special of the day, soup of the day at, at your favorite restaurant, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, it's yeah. the special. It's good food. It's the special at your local diner. Mm-hmm. Tastes great. Maybe not the healthiest, but, you know, tastes great. Awesome food it's a good price sure yeah it's not the fine dining all the time mm. that's what a really perfect 928 would have done it would just be the special occasion it's for that the car precious show. factor yeah and this one it just demands to be driven mm. it needs to be driven it needs mm. to be touched so it's this mechanic special so if you will get that 911 and you'll allow yourself paintings mm-hmm. and rock chips and really go drive it and go yeah. drive it and it's yeah, yeah. it's kind of not messed up, but it's been driven hard. Mm-hmm. That's more satisfying than any garage queen. And I say that to me. You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when you're trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is incredibly important. And this applies to online shopping too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. We know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss that ideal car. Autotempest.com. All the cars, one search. On the last debate, we touched briefly on old Corvettes because John's grandfather had one. And now we've landed in a debate for Drake, who is only debating old Corvettes. <laughs> Drake writes to us as a new listener. Drake, thank you for writing. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it's very cool. He's been diving into the catalog of YouTube content as well. His question is about Corvettes and the realities of owning older generations. Okay. The way older generations. Mm-hmm. He says, newer body styles don't do it for me. And he know if he can't connect with aesthetics, buying a vehicle will turn out to be a poor purchase. You and Drake could get along for a while, I think. Yeah. Yes, we could. The C3 Corvette is Drake's favorite car model and car generation, and that's because of the body shape. 
particularly that, well, that's 78 to 82 fastback. That's pretty much the entire run. But the C3 Corvette, for those of you that can't visualize it right now, this is the very extreme 70s one with the really, really tight belt line mm-hmm. and the big like extended fenders so it had a really really narrow waist and the fenders and the wheels stuck out a big a, a lot it, it's very 70s it's a fantastic 70s design that's the one that just works for drake yeah actually it's late in the run because the 68 was the first c3 and then there's about a decade yeah of, yeah he's, of well, he's saying so he likes the whole body late. shape but he prefers yeah. the, the the refinements there by the end yeah he's concerned that no matter how well he does his research, he'll end up with a bigger money pit than he initially anticipated. Probably. Yes. <laughs> yep. Indeed. Thanks for writing. Good to have you here. Drake's 27. He lives in a city condo with his wife, does not have a true garage space, although he does have readily accessible options through friends and family if needed. This car would be stored outside with a car cover, hopefully from Covercraft. Ideally, yes. And appropriate quality, he says. Yes. So his experience enthusiasm are mostly rooted in motorcycles. Suzuki, Royal Enfields, mm. Ducatis. Okay, cool. Over the past couple of years, he says, ironically, he's never driven stick, but he'd be open to getting a manual and learning how. Good, good. Yeah. He works from home permanently. Primary transportation, even in winter months, is his motorcycle. Mm, okay. Wow. His wife has a 2022 Toyota Corolla Hybrid. In addition to her last vehicle, they didn't trade in. So any car that he buys doesn't need to fulfill a practicality or gas mileage requirement. He says, hopefully it'll start up if he asks it nicely enough. <laughs> okay. His budget is likely up to $20,000, and he doesn't feel the need to spend all of that because there's a plethora of used examples in his market. He think it would be smart to set some of that budget aside for inevitable parts and labor expenses. I would you say don't so. say. Mm, yeah, probably. I'm experiencing that. <clears throat> He's comfortable with basic maintenance but he's honest that he lacks the upfront knowledge needed to care for a classic car. As a counterbalance to this, he writes he is financially stable and can support this hobby. Okay. Says, aside from the car he picks, if it's, even if it's a total rust bucket, he should have the funds to sustain a professional mechanic working on it when it's required. Find that mechanic currently, <laughs> then shop for said car. Yeah. He sat in C3s, he sat in C4s, he has a feel for both cockpits, he says, but he has not driven one yet. He's not interested in true convertibles, only T-tops and Targas. Good news, both of those generations have a plethora of options available. Yes, they do, for sure. So he's riding, is he crazy to want a C3 Corvette? He loves that C4 Generation 2 and thinks maybe the tail end of that production run could make more sense because of more creature comforts and superior handling and... Well, it's a low bar to start with, but never mind. <laughs> it is, yes. He just says, if I leave that C3 dream behind, it doesn't feed the itch. <laughs> so what do we think for both generations, and how do they truly compare to one another? He did see our affordable sports car video on YouTube featuring the C4. So that was uh, three years ago now, I think, with $10,000 mm-hmm. genuine sports cars. It was, but Drake, uh, one thing I don't think you've seen yet, and I'm going to say run, don't walk to see this, is our American original feature film. It's available on Amazon for streaming. It's also available on Amazon as a Blu-ray. That is us driving every generation of the Corvette. The C1, the first gen, we had a 1954, the first gen all the way through the late generation of the C7. The C8 wasn't out and we made that film. But it's every generation and we talk about it at length. So I highly recommend you watch that because I think it will help you with visuals and discussion we're about to have. I have some tough love thoughts for Drake, but where are you? (laughs) Ah, that balance between Money Pit, the access to work on it, and Mm -hmm. your love for it. Drake, I will say when you get this car... Because I feel like it's not an if, but when. I think that's fair, yeah. 
You're going to love it. It's going to be fun to drive. You're going to work on it. You're going to put money into it. You're going to hate it. It's not going to run. Then it'll get fixed. Something will get sorted. You're going to love it. You're going to drive it. You'll put more money into it. This is your life cycle, sir. You understand what's going on here. Put that on a shirt with a circle. It's going to be great. At some point, you will hate this car. Mm. And then finally, something will get sorted. And the thing that was bugging you will get fixed. And then you'll start to like it again. And you'll keep it. If you're prepared for that reality, then I say yes. But Todd's right. The definite comparison between C3 and C4, there's a huge leap. Those are vastly different cars. Yeah, they are. Different platforms. I mean, the C4 was pretty much a brand new it car. It was a at rethink. The time. And the C3 was still borrowing little pieces and limping along from the first from gen. From the very first. Yes. The C4 was the total rethink. Older. They skipped a year, and then yeah. the C4 comes out with the super digital dash and the flat yep. hood. and all. It was totally different, yep. for better and for worse. For both cars, Drake, the cheapest one available will be the cheapest one available. <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah. You will regret that. <laughs> yes. Possibly the costliest. There's two things that you need to look into. And they are associations. The first one is the National Corvette Owners Association Mm. because they are a very close, tight-knit group, but they are very friendly. They welcome new owners, and they want to share knowledge. And there is a lot of knowledge to be gained here. They can point you in the right direction for cars that for sale that you didn't know about that Mm -hmm. weren't advertised in all the usual places. But, hey, my buddy's selling it. He hasn't advertised it yet. He's put a whole bunch of work in and getting rid of it for family reasons. They're moving. Name a reason. Mm -hmm. The second one is the National Corvette Restorers Society. Mm -hmm. That is the NCRS, NCRS ncrs.org. Also a fantastic group of people. They're very willing to share all their knowledge. And these are the guys doing the the restorations. The NCRS is the judging body for all of the Corvette shows that hands out the awards and, you know, swipes their finger on your white wall and declares it imperfect because there's a grass stain this group is the reason why most of the old corvettes we drove some of which were 60 years old the owners still had the original delivery tires i can't say that slow or forcefully enough the the when we actually had a couple of the owners be like you want me to put the original tires on i was like no i would like to live please do not give me those tires and you know why those tires are still around drake is because they're made of gum rubber they're not the modern compounds that we see that will eventually have dry rot and yeah. crumble away. They're just made out of rubber. It's like an eraser. And when they would go to shows, it mattered to put the original tires back yeah. on. And we said, please do not give us those. Yeah. So as soon as you dive into both of these groups, you're going to find a huge world of information yeah. and connections to both of these models of cars to help you select and possibly help you shop for one. Because this is also the place to do your driving first. You want to look for a mechanic. You want to get some seat time. You want to meet mm-hmm. owners that were, are willing to give you seat time in their own cars and say, yeah, you've never driven it. And you got to be open to Drake because your opinion might change. Mm-hmm. You might drive that C3 and think, yep, this is the one for me. Or, wow, I didn't realize it did this. I, maybe I like a different model or yeah, yeah. You know, something. But I hear you about aesthetics. I do. That drives all of our cars. And Drake, I'm realizing from the very beginning, from, you know, we touched on Harley Earl In the GM color and trim department in 1929, recognizing that cars are a style object specifically designed to enclose people, humans. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Yeah. The the way the glass is over the top Mm -hmm. of your head, it's just designed to look stylish, but enclose a human body. Yeah, that's good. That's it. So I definitely agree with you on styling. And that is a big driver of why we buy the cars that we do. So Get the one that you love looking at. Get the one that you love to turn around and think, oh, that's gorgeous. I just want to take it for a drive, stop, take some awesome photos, and then I've got some <laughs> awesome photos of my car. Yeah. 
That is so cathartic to car enthusiasts. I agree. Drake, I, I have some tough love. I have some tough love reality <laughs> checks here for you, buddy. Having driven all of these, here's the thing that you need to know about the C3. The C3 starts with some decent power. In the late 60s, early 70s, it's got some decent power. And then the regulations come in. Mm. And the era you want, the late 70s, early 80s, we drove an early C3. We drove a 69, I believe, and we drove a 81, okay, Yeah, for yeah. the film. Okay? The crazy thing is that the 1981 C3 we drove was by far the least powerful car of all the ones we brought. Of okay? all of the Corvettes. Those those late 70s, early 80s cars, hear me now, had 5.7 liter V8s in them, large engine, and roughly 200 horsepower. <laughs> in many cases, they had half the power of the earlier C3s, and that was due to all the new emissions and regulations and all that kind of stuff. And some people argue that the actual manufacturers were making their cars less powerful to get the government to change their mind back. But the point is, a C3 of this era is most likely two things. 200 horsepower with a three-speed automatic. Mm, yeah. yeah. That is a recipe for bad driving. I'm just letting you know right now. This is referred to as the malaise era, Drake. Totally. Now you, and, and what's interesting is they are fascinating to look at. They're decent to sit in. You sit way back. I, I described it at one point. It's like paddling and steering a canoe from the very back seat where the whole nose is out front. Mm-hmm. Just, you're swinging it's around great. like a pendulum, okay? It's a really weird, interesting Fun driving experience in that regard, but they are slow, and that transmission is bad. So, a quick note to interject here, and yes, that is sir. if people listening think there's a great way to solve it, just drop a new engine in, well, then you're on your way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could. Right? You absolutely could you buy can one solve it, I, I, This is the thought I have for you, Drake. This C3 Corvette of the late 70s, early 80s is GM's equivalent to the DeLorean. It's a car whose styling sucks you in. Yeah, that's And then great. you drive it and go, this is not good to drive. <laughs> that's great. So, that's great. So, so this is the thing. People have taken DeLoreans and made them good to drive. There's a lot of money to do that. That's right. You can take a C3 and make it good to drive. There is a serious project car. What you're looking for is a C3 with an unchoked engine and a manual transmission. That's going to be a build, my friend. Right. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's going to be a build. Now, let me flip that around for a second and make it all okay, and that is this. I recently, for episode one of season 10, drove a 1968 Jaguar E-Type. How fast did I go? I don't care. Right. Don't yeah. care. Yeah. It was such a fun driving experience that, yeah, okay, the Speedo kind of bounced in that old kind of way. Okay, and I, I knew kind of how fast I was going, Able and I knew I out. wasn't walking, but <laughs> I didn't care how fast I was going. Yeah. That may be you and the C3. You may find one, and it doesn't matter that it has a big growly engine with no power at all. You just want to drive it. Mm-hmm. And if that's what you're looking for, then throw out everything I've said. Maybe that's the case. But I think that the driving experience of those late ones is going to let you down. That's my concern. Mm-hmm. Or you build out the world's best one with an engine swap. Different thing, major project. So I have right. a possible answer. Oh, Okay. And that is if you go C4, you've lost the styling you really, really want. But I can make it up for you and say you get the ZR1. ZR1 is the my... The top of your budget. Oh, that's my honey. The top of your budget is the, is the bottom to middle of the market of the C4 ZR1. That is a special car of that era. Yeah. 
They had special engines with Lotus tuning, all kinds of craziness going on with that, with that big V8. They had a lot of power. They drive really, really well. And the guys that have those typically, not always, typically, that's not like some car they drove around daily. It was a special Corvette, and they've treated it accordingly. So if you could get a C4 ZR1, I think you'll forget about the C3, or you've got to take a hard look at what the C3 does and doesn't do and see if it's for you. If it's if it's a fun cruiser styling exercise, the C3 kind of can't be beat. I'll give you that. Mm. But have a real conversation about how you're wanting. It's the perfect day, Drake. It's the perfect weather. You know exactly the road. How do you want that car to feel? Is it going to impress you with its performance, or is it just, I'm glad to be here? It's going to educate you a lot on C3 or C4. That's a great decision-making Watch our American original film and have a real conversation and look at all those visuals of all those cars. Because we drove them all back-to-back. It was amazing, and I think that'll help. I love the ZR1. I love that car. It's really good. Drake, that 1990 is the last body style version of the the first part of the run of C4s. 91 to 95 mm-hmm. is that little bit more aerodynamic, a little bit longer nose. You're going to have to decide a style there, but both have their benefits. Yeah, for both sure. have their, for their sure. stylistic benefits and they're three inches wider in the back and Lotus designed engine built by Mir Cruiser. Yeah. Such a weird and the, car. And the Z1 actually informed the styling tweaks to the lesser vets for the rest of the C4 mm-hmm. run. It's a very interesting car. Every winter, we find ourselves tracking snow, salt, and grime into our cars. Thankfully, Covercraft has a variety of floor mats to keep you winterproof. Covercraft floor mats and cargo mats are custom-fitted to your exact car and include the original equipment security grommets, if applicable. They're the perfect and durable way to protect your car's carpet and add style and comfort to your interior. Plus, you can choose from many color and material options to complement or contrast the interior colors of your car or truck. Covercraft is sure to have what you need. They offer plush carpet, Berber carpet, or even sheepskin, which is warm in the winter and cool in the summer. Whatever mats you choose, remember to use the code EVERYDAY22 at checkout to receive a 10% discount and free shipping from Covercraft.com. All of a sudden, you guys woke up and went, oh, new year, new questions. <laughs> Fantastic. There's tons of them here. I'm going to start right here. Two questions that relate to each other. Nathan and Kirk, both on Facebook, asked questions about East Coast Trip. Nathan said, are we coming to the Northeast in 2022? And Kirk said, are we coming to the East Coast for a meetup, maybe doing Tale of the Dragon? That's two different parts of the country, but they're both East Coast. (laughs) Uh, Guys, I will tell you this. We are going to come East for our Cars of the Past road trips. We do not know where yet. We're going to try to do it in some way that we can actually have a little bit of time to hang out with some of you on the East Coast because it's been way too long since we were even anywhere near there. Right, right. It might be Southeast to do Tale of the Dragon area. It might be Northeast to do other roads and other events. We just don't have a call yet, but it will be sometime probably late spring. We will keep you informed. Revs Up asks if there's any chance that Toyota would collaborate with Hyundai on an MR2. Since Hyundai is possibly releasing the RM20, or is that too big a competition, too, too big of a competitor to the Supra, has there been any more news about a new MR2 or any word that Hyundai will have a manual? Well, first of all, let's start with the very beginning of your sentence, Toyota collaborating with Hyundai. My answer is rooted in information based in 2016 okay. when I visited Tokyo okay. and I was with some folks. I was in the tech industry and with some sales guys okay. and they were Japanese. In Japan, there are zero Korean cars sold. Mm. That says volumes. Zero. That says volumes. The I, Koreans make cars? I had no idea. Exactly right. Mm. The world over, the world history, forever, for any rivalry between two countries, there can be peace, 
but there's still always things simmering <laughs> underneath, right? For Don't the, for take all the lid of time, off of that pot. Okay? Yeah. So I asked, I said, well, what do you guys think of Samsung? And they said, no. Don't buy Samsung. You buy Sony mm. in Japan. What are you thinking? And conversely, I don't know how many Japanese car models are sold in Korea. But in Japan, there were zero Korean cars for sale. That's interesting. Now, Hyundai did have their design center in Yokohama, which I visited. Mm-hmm. But they were on the down low. They are in a nondescript office building. <laughs> no signs of anything anywhere. Outside says, nothing to see here. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm. This is the nothing to see here company. Yep. I don't know what we do here. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just a receptionist in gray going, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm afraid you're lost. <laughs> Exactly right. So the collaboration between those two countries, and that's what that represents, mm-hmm. not companies, mm-hmm. to do an MR2. Us enthusiasts worldwide would welcome that. That'd be fascinating. Sure. Yeah. Bring all your brain trust, bring all the designers and engineers, and bring us a new MR2. That would be fantastic. But Toyota has already done that through a series of concepts they recently released. It's on their minds, mm. whether it's a hybrid or fully electrified, yet to be seen. But they're already thinking about that. And I don't know that Toyota needs Hyundai to be able to bring back an MR2 to, to do a collaboration. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're kind of known for collaborations now. With Subaru and I think BMW. they're more likely to lean on Porsche if that was going to happen. I would think so. Yeah. And conversely, Hyundai's doing their own thing. Yeah. They are a force to be reckoned with through all three of their brands. Yep. yep. Kia, Genesis, and Hyundai. They're just going, we're going to do this. And yep. what I like the most about them keeping separate and not collaborating is we all win for all the cool models. It's true, yeah. In the in the rivalry worldwide, let's do that. Brad writes in on Twitter and he says I'm very curious about affordable fun cars. Mm-hmm. And here's here's his story. He says he just sold his Mercedes GLC 43 that he loved because he realized he could get every penny he paid for it back out of it right now in the crazy car market. And he bought himself an old Mercedes wagon, which he just is thrilled with. But he went, hang on, hang on. The wagon's the perfect do-it-all. But based on what's happening to car prices, based on what he's seeing, you probably looked at bring a trailer, Brad, if I had to guess. Based on what he's seeing, all of the old enthusiast cars are skyrocketing in price. He's like, have I missed my window? Is there ever going to be an opportunity to get back into truly fun cars? Or are they all going to be out of reach? And he targets the M2 competition or the C6343 coupe. Will they still be affordable five years down the road? Brad, a couple of thoughts here. First off, if you're actually saying to me you want a truly fun car, you're going too big. Mm. M2 Comp, C6343, yes, those are sleeper cars in the muscle car variety. But if you want a true fun car, you need to go smaller. And you probably, as you go smaller, will also go cheaper. Miatas, 86s, Lotus Elises. If you're wanting dedicated fun, I want to really encourage you to go smaller than the stuff you're thinking. That's my first part. The second part is not everything is going to skyrocket up. Some stuff, oh my gosh, it's a Supra manual. <laughs> Put that in a glass case. I'll take that for whatever <laughs> stupid price. Somebody's going to pull one out of whatever car you can think yes. of with plastic on the seats, and it's going to sell for a price that you're just like, I'm sorry, but that's multiple houses. It's right. going to keep happening. Right. But there will be somebody that has one down the block in random town that you can buy. You're going to have to go older, and you're going to have to search nationwide, and you're going to have to dig. But I truly believe that affordable fun cars are always going to be out there. There will be the weird ones that just sell for you've got to be kidding, but not every car. I'll give you a great example. You have 928, love, Paul. Mm-hmm. And ever since the Risky Business one sold for whatever it was, $2 million. 
Insane. All anyone can talk about on your 928 video and elsewhere is the fact that, oh, those cars are worth a fortune now. Did you know the risky business one sold for two? That has nothing to do with the 928 market. <laughs> Have you seen mine? <laughs> it has nothing to do with the 928 Agreed. market. There will Agreed. always be the outliers. Don't believe that the outliers are all of them, but you need to go older and you need to go smaller and you'll find them cheaper. I carry 556 asks, at what point do we encourage car modification? Oh, I saw this. Because he thoroughly enjoys modifying cars and making them his own. And the more intense the modifications, the more he likes it. Mm-hmm. But it seems like we, Todd and Paul, are the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. So is there a point where we encourage modifications, whether it be a certain buyer or a certain car? And what type of modifications do we encourage or discourage regardless of who it is? Mm. You're right, Gary. I, you could argue that we discourage modifications based on conversations we've had in the past. And there's caveats. Mm -hmm. Always. On one hand, modded cars are amazing. I see an 800 horsepower Audi R8 or Mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do with it? Mm -hmm. Are you tracking it on a regular basis? Mm -hmm. Because if you are, can you put that power down? C7Z06s are so powerful on track right out of the box. Yep. Do you need more? Okay. Let's set that aside. First of all, we encourage car modification when you've paid attention to yourself as a driver. Mm. It's not about modifying cars without paying attention to your own skills first. Sure, yeah. Have you spent the money you would have spent on that car going to a driving school, getting better at learning Mm -hmm. how to control your own car? Because that is the first modification ever. It's called driver mod. (laughs) Yeah. Start there. Get better at driving. Understand tire and balance and extract more out of the car you have before you mod it to overcome any lack of driving talent. That's good. That's good. And then from there, we talk about tires constantly. They, we always will Mm -hmm. because it transforms the driving dynamics and characteristics of a car so dramatically you won't believe it. Mm -hmm. Then the natural inclination is to go power, power. Yeah. We need power. Got to have power. Do you use that power or is it just a number you tell people? Agreed. And then you you float it out there. You mm-hmm. say, my car makes 500 and however much horsepower. Yeah. But you don't say anything after that. So people, you know, whatever metric they're used to, like, wow, 550 horsepower. That's, wow, that must be really fast. Maybe. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And what does that mean? So I want you to find your use and have focus. Agreed. Agreed. We both do. It, it, find your focus and what you want that result to be rather than dumping your money into something that... You kind of don't know why you ended up with this monster mm-hmm. and what's it for because you're not going to get your money back out of it. Now, if it's a specific tuned car, it's a track based Miata or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And you've really tuned it to go track and a part of a series or, you know, you, you know, you as a driver, you need to extract more to your car, but you like your car. So you want to put more power. Great. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But we never want you to forget about yourself and your own skills first. That's excellent. And this is why we say, just go drive your car. First of all, get used to it. Mm-hmm. It might have more performance lurking in it than you ever thought. Mm-hmm. And then you change the tires and well, now it's past your capabilities. It's past my capabilities. Wow. And we didn't even do anything to it. Yeah, this that's excellent. I, I carry, I want to add a few things here and that is, I, I think your question is fascinating and we could probably have it a huge topic Tuesday on it, mm-hmm. but you really have to backing up Paul's point. You really have to figure out what do you need this car to do? Mm-hmm. Because if, if look, if it's a styling exercise, every car you buy, you want to make it look a certain way because it looks like no other version of that car on the planet. And that's your thing. It's your canvas. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Good. Yeah. All right. All right. That's fine. As long as you understand you've just made a car for you 
and you will never see any of that money out of it on the back end. It will sell for less. It's not the reason to buy a car is not to sell it, but it will sell for less than if it was unmodded the day you sell it. You will, it'll be a money pit. But if it's your canvas, then go crazy and paint whatever you want to do. <laughs> just, just make yeah. it yours. If it just yeah. needs to look so unique that it's just you, that's fine as long as that's the hole you're putting your money down and you're okay with that. <laughs> But if you say, it, ha- look, I, we've all done it. I have totally done it. I'm about to tell you who I was when I owned my first Z car. <laughs> Z websites, scroll. Oh, that looks good. Scroll. Oh, do I need that? Scroll. Hey, oh, that's on sale. <laughs> that, that's actually a deal today. I, I, I kind of want one to scroll. You get the new car and you find the site and you find all the stuff you yeah. could do. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Do, you, do you need it? Does it actually make the car better? Or And, and better is a slippery slope. Better doing what? If you were to come to me and say, Todd, what I want to do with my car every weekend, it's going to be my daily, but every weekend I am going to the drag strip, then there are modifications you will need to do to make it better at the drag strip. For sure. And those will be sacrifices when it's a daily. Yeah. But if you say to me, I want it to be a track car, I'm going to daily, but I'll make it a track. Well, there's modifications there. Stuff's coming out. Other stuff's going in. It's, it's track modifications. Yeah. yeah. If you're going to modify your car because – you couldn't buy a more powerful version of whatever, and so you bought a low powerful version, and you're trying to get to the high powered car that way. We say, please don't. <laughs> yes, okay, yes. because you are not the good R and D of buying the better car. Right, right. But if you're just do- look, I'll give you a perfect example. For me, I always buy wheels. It's like you know, what day's the car here? I'll have wheels here then. That, that's how I feel. I, I wanted. I don't like stock wheels from any manufacturer. I want to put wheels on. And usually, you're going lighter too. But that's not just design. I have learned enough that I also want to get a design that I like, but it has to be pretty similar or lighter than the wheel that came from the yeah. factory because I know that's gonna. I'm gonna appreciate that performance. I want good tires. I want wheels that are me. That's how I. That's how it's a canvas for me. I want wheels that are mine. Okay? That's great. And I kind of stop there. I also realize that most powerful cars Paul and I have driven, like the most powerful thing you can think of, you can't use it. Yeah. So then it just becomes a bragging right thing unless you need it for the drag strip or you need mm-hmm. it for this specific thing. Otherwise, you're throwing money at something to be able to stand in a bar or at a Cars and Coffee and go, here's why I'm cool. Mm-hmm. And I go, yeah. okay. <laughs> I'll leave you with, with a last example I carry because, again, we could go on forever. And that is Liberty Walk. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you went there. Okay. I did indeed. Ooh, all right. I'm going to crack my knuckles. We're settling in. Okay, good. In the realm mm-hmm. of lowering a car and stylistic things things and, and choices. That, yes, choices. Choices that, have been made. That Liberty Walk addresses. Mm. It's great in that world. And that's why if that's your world and you're going towards it and you like yeah. that world, great. Live in that world. But you drive that to any track day, you will get laughed off the planet by Every track driver, every driver in a Miata or anything. It's a what's your purpose thing, yeah. They will look at that and think, what? that's the most unusable thing ever. It'll bottom out. It'll tear itself apart. It's going to be undrivable. <laughs> I will beat it in my wife's 540i wagon. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but because it, they know the track. They know driving. They're into cornering and tires and tire temperatures and all the things about track driving. But dude, brah, I'm going to do a video about my Liberty Walk kit on my car. <laughs> Totally got to watch. It just smash the like button, dude. Smash it. Oh, my gosh. So that's a different world. And ne'er the twain shall meet, hopefully. Yeah, probably. 
but you see, you know, if that's the direction but you're who going, are you? yeah. track rats don't care about that lowered kind of look because it's more aesthetics and it's, you know, kind of a choice and is what it is, but yeah. it's, it's still valid because you're a car enthusiast and you could make a cool YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> I have one last question. I don't leave it here. Parker Singleton asks, asks about my Lotus five day road trip piece. He's watching along and suddenly it dawns on him. Hang on a second. This has drone shots in it and the car is moving. How did that happen? You're right, Parker. My 11-year-old <laughs> son flew the drone. I would get out on the side of the road, and we would put the drone in the air, and I would kind of show him. I'd be like, all right, the drone's here. Why don't we slide it to here during this shot? Why don't we do this motion? And then he would try it a couple times, and we stand there. And be like, all right, I'm going to go get in the car. Well, we, he had a radio. I had a radio. Same way we actually shoot the show for real. But he was actually doing the drone shots, and I'm quite proud of him, and the drone shots in that piece are entirely done by my son. Aniswar on Facebook asks if we have any automotive hot takes for the new year. Well, much to come. We just got to take it step by step. I will. There will be multiple. Comments. Tease you and be very cryptic by saying it hasn't arrived yet. Oh, oh, wow, that is cryptic. Well done. Thank you guys for all your support. Really appreciate it. Write to us everydaydrivertv at gmail dot com with all your topic Tuesdays, car debates, yes. and your car conclusions. Love hearing from you guys. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. Yeah.